Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Lord, as we gather uh, this night, um, doing your uh, evangelization work, Lord, and these various videos and podcasts, we just ask, Lord, that you inspire us, that you help to bring more people to you through these uh, forms of media, and that, as always, that, you're, that you be praised and glorified in all that we do. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we have a little change of uh, venue Whoa. here today. I didn't even notice. Uh, yeah, it's this is different. We just kind of like blinked, and yeah. here we are. So, dear listener, you might have noticed that unless you only listen to us in audio, then you have no idea that we've changed our venue. But it might sound different who, to the mics. The mics might be a little different, so that you might hear. Um, we had a flood, as. You're aware. You are not aware, dear listener. We had a flood. The great uh, Chicago flood of last weekend. Was it of September 18th or something? No, that's, that's correct. It's going to be called the great Chicago flood of last weekend. <laughs> the great forever. From forever. The great Chicago flood of last weekend. We got two inches of water uh, throughout Unity Hall. That's our church basement. Our elevator, our new elevator flooded. Um, and it doesn't even work anymore because it all got flooded. And our rectory basement, where we normally film our podcasts and record, uh, got a lot of uh, sewer water. And so it stinks down there. So say a little prayer for Valerie because that's where her office is. <laughs> um, and our convent basement got flooded. It was just... But not the school. Nice. The school did not get flooded. Praise God. We just put a new cafeteria in that basement but so you might be seeing us here for a few podcasts until we get the smell out and uh the floors changed and see what insurance will cover god bless insurance you also got water in your basement I got and everybody in the neighborhood got water in the basement yeah. everybody flooded i got more than two inches Oof. i got like eight anyway and was it also the sewer oh yeah yikes that's what yeah. it is well that's why we love insurance and why we put our treasure in heaven not in our basements. That's right. Anyway, <laughs> we're saved through water. We are. And we have some homemade beer. Prost. Prost. Uh, made it myself. Mm. It's delightful, Father. Hopefully it doesn't get you sick. That's delightful. No. <laughs> Welcome to Ed Talks. I'm Father Dominic. I'm Paul Maneric. And this is where we hope to inspire saints to inspire saints to build the kingdom of God. Amen. And today... We're talking about another topic that was suggested from one of our listeners, uh, Eucharistic miracles. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And it just so happens I was in the sixth grade class uh, doing a little religion lesson. And one of the kids asked about Eucharistic miracles. And I told him to listen to our podcast mm. soon because there's going to be an episode coming out about Eucharistic miracles. That's awesome. What prompted the question? We were talking about angels and demons and af the afterlife and heaven and the sacraments and it just, he, I, you know, I think it was just trying to get me off topic. And, <laughs> and uh, prolong, what about Eucharistic miracles? Prolong your stay so that math class was delayed. Oh, of course, yeah. They don't have to do any of their, you know, homework <laughs> stuff, things they get graded for. It's awesome. The Eucharist is incredible. It's an unfathomable gift. I may have said that already on Ed Talks. It's just like... Thinking about the reality of God himself pouring himself in his fullness into what once was a small piece of unleavened bread. Right. Our Eastern brothers and sisters, it would be leavened bread, but it's bread. For us, sinful, human, 
ungrateful creatures to consume him. Right. It's an insanely... And become who we receive. Yeah. I mean, it is... Yeah. It is an act of love that is so profound and so moving. There's no, no shock that the lion's share of converts to Catholicism are led to Catholicism through the Eucharist. Amen. Um, although, and ironically, it's also the stumbling block. You talk to the converts, it's their biggest stumbling block, and they're the fiercest defenders of the real presence. Because once they get it, they, they get it. Yeah. Uh, That's the beautiful thing about, about converts, that you know, they didn't grow up just knowing that this is just part of what we do on Sunday, or this is just part of growing up. You know, it's not enculturated. It's something that they really had to to believe and and really come wrestle with and, and come to, to grapple with, you know? And and God doesn't, and I think that's the point, right? It mm-hmm. is, he knew from the beginning, right? It is such a hard saying. In the beginning, hundreds, thousands of his disciples, his followers, he let walk away because this was a hard saying. Mm-hmm. And of, of you must eat my flesh, you must drink my blood, or you will have no life within you. So you've got this going on in the beginning. He knew how hard it was, so he's like, all right, guys, I'm going to throw you a few bones along the way yep. to be like, he's not going to beat us over the head because it's not the way God works. Right? Right. He's not going to just every time. He makes an invitation, offers it. It's up to us and our free will to choose to, to follow. It would be, right. It would be, it, we would, it would cheapen our ascent to all of his glory and all the magnificence that he has into that, that request of his to love us. Mm-hmm. In, in a reciprocal way, like he loves us, for, for, for us to love him back. And uh, these Eucharistic miracles point the way occasionally through history. He's like, now I'm, I'm going to give you a glimpse here, and I'll give you a glimpse there. And it happens all over the world, which is really cool, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna talk, and throughout time, it's happened. And we're going to... Should, should I start with the oldest one? Yeah, start with the oldest one, then I got some new ones. Let's so, start out some Eucharistic miracles. Yeah, so the coolest thing about, so we actually, our first RCIA meeting, talking about converts, um, nice. our first RCIA meeting of the year uh, in September, um, Walt, who's new to the parish, but is a convert himself, and went through RCA, loves the RCA program, and now he's joined our team here with Sarah Pellrine. He was, we were talking about the Eucharist, and he was like, oh, there's this great miracle from Lanciano in Italy. Tremendously old. Of course from Italy. Of course from Italy. This is the only Italian one we're doing. <laughs> so just don't get excited. I know it's the only Italian one. I know. I mean, there's lots of Italian Eucharistic minerals. It's the only one we're talking mm-hmm. So um, this happened over a millennium ago, over a thousand years ago this happened. We don't know the precise date, um, but essentially the Eucharist transformed into human flesh during the Mass. And people were freaking out, which is an understandable reaction. I know I would. I would freak out. I know um, I would, and I believe in this stuff. And, and yeah. I know it happened, but I would also freak out. And you're like, it's so, so, dear listener, you're thinking, it's happened like over a thousand years ago. Some people in Italy freaked out about, okay, I'm not buying it. We still have the piece of flesh. We still have, have it. Oh, they sure. still have the piece of flesh and it's kept and it's not like okay it's behind over like once a century for the last five centuries scientists have been like let's take a look at this Mm -hmm. thing and every single time as science advances the reality of what is there 
becomes more fully understood to the point where now we understand that it is actually heart tissue. It's human mm -hmm. tissue with real blood and it's from the heart. So, so with, in 1981, right, this is the most recent um, investigation. Study. Yeah. Mike And Mile what year did it actually happen? We don't really know. Seventh or eighth century. Okay. All right. Not, wow. Because, okay. yeah, we don't know because records at that point sure. weren't as, as closely kept as, as we do keep them now. Um, but, yeah, so series of, of microscopic findings taken as a whole in this kind of completed this image of this is from a human heart. Um, and here, Professor Linoli, who did the 1981 inspection, he added one last penetrating observation. If the flesh we venerate today had, in, the, in this church in Lanciano, had undergone rigor mortis, meaning that it had died, evidently um, at the time of the original miracle, it would have been alive. In fact, rigor mortis begins one to three hours after death and ends 36 to 48 hours later. And so the idea is that this flesh had been alive and it went through rigor mortis. Um, and it's crazy that this is like a, so it's, it's small now because it's, it's kind of mummified at some level. But if you reverse the process, it's like a whole heart, which is wild. Really? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, the current size is smaller than one of the. And just think ones. of all those haters that say that the church and science don't get along. Yeah, a bunch of horse hacking. I mean, it's awesome. It's this awesome. is awesome. Yeah, super cool, um, amazing. It's still there. So if you go to Lanciano, Italy, you can venerate this amazing Eucharist. That's cool. So that's that's the oldest one. What's the most recent one we got? Most recent that yeah, of the six we're talking, we're gonna talk about six. So the most recent is 2008. In uh, forgive my non. Use of the Polish language in Skolokwa? Sokolwa? Yeah, Sokolka. But the L is not done that. The L is supposed to be a wa sound. Yeah, it's like the L with the line through it. S O K O L with a line through it, K A. So for all of my Polish brothers and sisters, my apologies. But this 2008, I was 18. We like 40 by then? 64. <laughs> 64. Yeah. All right, so on October 12th, 2008, at the church dedicated to St. Anthony of Sokolka, uh, Holy Mass was at 8.30 in the morning, celebrated by the young priest, um, Philip, we'll just call him. <laughs> There's like 37 letters in his last name. So Father Philip had the Mass. <laughs> And during communion, unknowingly, a host falls from the hands of one of the priests, and a woman kneeling, ready to receive the Eucharist, makes him notice it. The priest remains paralyzed from fright and believing it was dirty, places it in the vasculum, which must be a like a suborium of sorts. Oh, a small silver vessel which contains Oh, that's got I figured that had a name. I didn't know that's what that was called. Wow, say it again. Tell us uh, vasculum. That's so we have it next to our tabernacle. It's a little ours is glass. This one is is metal. Um, but it's next to the tabernacle for you to dip your hands in it. It's, it's a dish with water in it. So you dip your hands or your fingers in it after you give out, distribute Holy Communion. So if there's any particles of the Eucharist on your hand, it'll dissolve instantly in the water. I know they have a name, Vasculum. I'm going to remember that one. Um, so they have a metal one. We have a glass one next to our tabernacle. Um, so the priest laid the, the host in there, um, uh, thinking it was dirty. 
Um, and then at the end of Mass, the sacristan, Sister Julia Duboska, that one I could say, uh, she took the vasculum with the host in it uh, for increased safety to pour it into probably the sacrarium. Um, oh, no, she was going to put it in, into a different vessel later, but she locked it in the safe. And then she's done. Okay. Then the wording just gets smaller. All right. A week later, on Sunday, October 19th, around 8 a.m., Sister opened the safe and found the host almost dissolved in water, but with some strange red clots in the center. She immediately called the priest to show them what was discovered and the hope that the host mostly dissolved, but some, a piece of the consecrated bread was left tightly, and then they moved it into the tabernacle of the rectory, and they left it there um, and placed it on a corporal inside the tabernacle. And then a few months later, they took a, a sample of it to be examined independently by two professional histopathologists at the University of Bialystok. That can't be. That couldn't have pronounced that right. But anyway, <laughs> Bialystok and Histopathologist. Uh, hi histopathologist. Um, and they issued a common declaration which states the sample sent for evaluation looks like mitocardial, that's what I was thinking of, mitocardial tissue. In our opinion, of all the tissues of living organisms, this is the one that resembles the most. Cool. And that cool? 2008, piece of hose falls on the floor, put it in some water, and then a few days later, it has blood within it. So... Great segue into the second oldest one that we're going to look at today because it Lamb. happened in almost exactly the same way. So in the 14th century in France, Blano, France. Um, so in many traditional churches today, this is still the normal way of receiving the Eucharist, um, which is to approach the sanctuary and kneel down at an altar rail and receive, everyone kneels side by side. There's not like the line that we are used to um, at, here at St. Edward and in most kind of um, Novus Ordo masses throughout the world. And the priest will distribute the Eucharist and an altar server will hold a paten underneath to catch if the host falls. So the priest was distributing Eucharist and as the priest is distributing the Eucharist, he comes to the last woman um, to receive that, that mass, and her name was Jaquette, and she is described as being the widow uh, of a local uh, man there in the parish. And after the priest placed the host on her tongue, he started to walk toward, back towards the altar because she was the last one, but the host fell from her mouth, mm -hmm. and it landed on the cloth that covered her hand. She was, she was praying and she, the priest was about to place the ciborium back inside the tabernacle and a member of the parish approached him on the sanctuary and let him know, Father, the host fell from this woman's mouth. And he went quickly back and the host was gone and the woman didn't apparently didn't realize that like he had he had misplaced the hose and, and missed her mouth hmm. and she never realized so she was waiting still patiently with her eyes closed to receive the Eucharist and he went and he looked and where the host had fallen everyone said the host fell on her on her little cloth he picked it up and it was gone it had vanished but in its place was a small red stain hmm. 
And so he took the, the, the cloth um, into the sac sacristy and he um, placed it in a basin with clear water to try to just get the stain out so he could return the cloth. And um, he washed and scrubbed and the stain, instead of going away, it actually started to grow and spread. Um, and instead of just diluting and spreading, it became darker and more clear until it formed a blood stain, a deep blood stain of the host really? in the exact shape of the host. Um, they were terrified. The priest and everyone was like, what is going on here? And um, someone shouted, this is the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The priest quickly took a knife and removed the stained portion from the rest of the cloth and um, has placed it in the tabernacle, this cloth. Cool. And they still venerate it today. Um, That's awesome. The church itself was ransacked in the, during the French Revolution. Of course so it was. They, they yes. actually, all of, the, all of the consecrated hosts from that mass, they reserved and, and kept aside with the Good. stained cloth and were like, this is a sacred, um, this is a sacred Kind yeah. of batch of hosts here. Um, those hosts were lost during the, the French Revolution, but some parishioner managed to get into the tabernacle, remove the cloth, and they still have the cloth. So the cloth nice. is still venerated. Praise God. Yeah, super cool. Can't trust those dirty hippies. No, nope, not even, even if they're... Going back to Poland, this was interesting. I just read this. So okay. this is the professor that was studying. One of the professors that studied... Uh, that miracle in Poland. So he says, at first I was convinced that it was a blood clot, but the truth was much more surprising, he says. Two scientists at Bialystok, uh, who for their own independent investigations made use of the most modern optical microscopes and the transmission of electronic microscope, of the in the transmission of electronic microscope, have reached the same conclusion that the, this again, 2008, the sample examined was neither a blood clot nor blood. It was human cardiac muscle tissue still alive. And something even more incredible, it was a cardiac muscle with typical indications of the final phase that precedes death. Isn't that cool? That's amazing. That's Poland. All right, let's jump a little, a little later into 2006 in Tichila? I'm just going to let you Tichla? say it. Sure. Tichila. That's All right. In Mexico. Uh, T-I-X-T-L-A. So let me know in the comments if I'm pronouncing that right. Anyway, October 12th. That's the wrong year. Uh, oh, the, uh, in 2013, they announced that this was an actual thing. But in 2006, there was a manifestation of a marvelous sign of the love of God, uh, this is written by the bishop, that confirms the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, he rec the bishop recognized the supernatural character of the bleeding host of Tichla and declared it as a divine sign. So here's the, here are the, the cliff notes what happened. A reddish substance was analyzed and it corresponds to blood in which there are hemoglobin and DNA of human origin. There were two studies done on this host conducted by forensic experts. Um, they've shown that the substance originates from the interior, excluding the hypothesis that someone could have placed it from the exterior. Wow. So it comes from within the body. The blood type is AB, similar to the one found in the host of Lanciano, Lanciano. and in the Holy Shroud of Turin. Yep. 
Same blood type. It's cool. A, I probably should, I, which doesn't matter if you can see my face or not. But anyway, the microscopic analysis um, reveals that a superior part of the blood has been coagulated since October of 06. Moreover, the underlying internal layers reveal in February of 2010 the presence of fresh blood. Um, so in 2010, it's still fresh. Um, yeah, this is, so this is in Mexico, a piece of host. Uh, and having a blood a blood spot on it, and it's again, it's from well, the interior. There's a little picture right there. And the same. That's the coolest thing is that in every single eucharistic that. miracle that scientists examine, where there's presence of real human blood and human heart tissue, it's always the same blood type. It's all. Like, Isn't that cool? I did, so that I didn't know. I didn't hold up. I'm being very honest. I didn't know a whole lot. I knew eucharistic miracles happened. Yeah. And I had heard of some of them, but I never really did a deep dive. Um, so and this is so cool. Like, yeah. I didn't know about the blood type thing that it matches Turin and yeah, the Shroud Luciano. And Luciano. And yeah, it's cool. And so the, I think it's probably the most common ones, right, are like evidence of blood or flesh. But here's a cool different one, 13th century um, in Portugal. Mm. And this is really cool. So um, at Mass... Um, there was a, a woman who showed up, and she was feeling betrayed by her husband. Um, mm. the, and she wanted to win him back. And so she went, she turned to the dark side. She went to a sorceress, mm. um, and the sorceress said, I can do something for you, but you need to bring me a consecrated host. Because even today, and this is one of the most important things, you, um, I know you've actually called me up to the sanctuary once during Mass and said, Paul, there was a gentleman, I'm not sure if he consumed the host. Okay, can you go just check? Because it's one of the most important roles of a, of a priest, of a deacon, of an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion is to ensure that the communicant immediately Eats receives it. the host and consumes Christ in the Eucharist immediately. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately there are dark forces in the world mm -hmm. that will desecrate the host and black masses are real and satanic mm -hmm. rituals are real and they use consecrated hosts and they use Christ's real presence because they admit they, they acknowledge the power of the Eucharist but they don't they don't go into Lutheran churches and take the, the crackers and bread. Right? They come yeah. to Catholic Masses yeah. and they take the Eucharist. Um, and so that's what this woman, she was trying to abscond with this Eucharist. And so she did. She was able to take the consecrated host. And that's another one of the reasons why receiving on the tongue is, is a lot more of a guarantee mm. that this won't, so this gonna eat it. desecration won't happen. Um, so she was able to conceal the host. She must, she must have received it in her tongue at the time. That was how they all received it. And then she quickly put it in, put Jesus into her handkerchief and she tried to hurry home and but she couldn't it was it was late so she shoved it into a drawer in her shoved him into the drawer in her room and um, went to bed knowing the next day she would bring it um, but at night when her husband came home the drawer was emitting light there was light glowing from the drawer. And then he was like, what's going on? And she was terrified. Nothing, nothing's going on. It's like, our yeah. drawer is glowing. Yeah. And so we went out and got people. 
more people kept coming and people kept coming like why is that what's going on it's glowing it's glowing it's glowing and um eventually the priest came because people were like this woman's drawer is glowing and she's not letting us know what's going on eventually yeah. she broke down she said she confessed what she did priest came running grabbed the host put it back in a wax container and in the wax container it began to bleed and it wow. bled for three days um, and uh, the wax, in fact, the wax had started to, to break around it. And so we put it in a crystal container um, with the blood inside. And um, then it's become the house where this happened is now a chapel. Wow. Um, and on the second Sunday of April every year, the incident is reenacted in the really? church of St. Stephen in Santarem, Portugal. Yeah. And uh, the reliquary that houses the miraculous host rests in the tabernacle in that little chapel. Right wow. And all year long, people can come and venerate. That's so cool. Which is super cool. So it also, like that light, that element of light is so, so cool. Uh, wow. All right, my last one is when I was a year old, when I was a wee wee. I was only 30. A wee wee lad. <laughs> On December 8th, Feast of Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception, 1991, in Betania, Venezuela, Father Oti Osa was celebrating Mass in the chapel of the shrine and during the consecration saw the host bleeding. The miraculous host is preserved in the city of Los Decas at the convent of the Augustinian Recollect Nuns of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, where it's permanently exposed for the adoration of the faithful and is visited every year by numerous pilgrims. Uh, the host's uh, miracle is among one which stands out that occurred to a young American who filmed the miraculous host pulsating like a heart while it was exposed to the faithful. That's um, amazing. That is incredible. It's just cool, right? Like God breaks through. Every now and then, it's not, it doesn't happen every time, but he, he removes the veil occasionally to support us because we are weak. We're weak. We need things as human beings, it's, right? Like blessed are you right. who have seen and believed, but think of those who have not seen and still believe, Amen. right? Like, yeah, I've, I haven't seen any of these, but you know, I'm, I know they happened. It's awesome. I mean, and that scientists have studied them. And, um, now, I don't know where you got your information, but I got mine. You can kind of see it from these, the onion. Is these, that these, what? I wasn't going to fact check you, but I got mine from a website called... Is this Carlo Acuti's website? Yes, this is Carlo Acuti's website. Blessed Carlo Acuti. Blessed Carlo Acuti. I don't remember the name of the website. I guess eucharisticmiracles.net or something. But anyway... If you Google search Blessed Carlo Acuti, he's a 15-year-old boy that died of leukemia in like 2006 or something like that. Um, and he, before he died, cataloged every Eucharistic miracle known and created these like one-page sheets with the whole story and all the science and stuff on them. He did all of that as he was laid up in bed and couldn't go to school because of his leukemia. This is what he did because he knew the Eucharist is really Jesus and he gave his whole life over to Christ and knew whatever little time he had left, he was going to evangelize as best he could. So he created a website. Uh, he'll be the patron saint of gamers because he loved gaming. Millennials. <laughs> He's a millennial saint. He's a millennial saint. All right. I'm Father Dominic. I'm Paul Eric. And this is Ed Talks where we hope to inspire saints who will inspire saints to build the kingdom of God. Amen.
Except after A. Holy <laughs> just, just say Sokolka. Sokolka. We don't have that. We don't have like, many with, like diehard Polish. Yeah, with like the, the L and the slash through it. Okay. Yeah. However you do that, we'll Polish people. 